0: Okay, so today uh, we're going to begin a, a series, and as Sarah and I and and Tom and Ben uh, sat down to discern what it is the Lord would be speaking to our community and to our hearts, to our families, um, we looked back in order to, to look forward, and we we listened for God's heart, and at a lot of different points during the course of two thousand and sixteen, there were like checks in in our hearts about well, we want to make sure that like this whole vision the the broad vision of bringing life to the city can can be sort of vague sometimes and general and what is what does that really look like in in our hearts that we have hearts that are committed to Living outward focused lives because on the on the surface um, I, it's easy to say, well, like, oh, well, pastor wants us to do outreach, like outreach events, but that's really not what we 're talking about at all and I'm, and over the course of two thousand and sixteen, I just became so grateful, just thinking last week about the hearts that are gathered in this room and the families that are represented. And it's just, and I just become became overwhelmed with gratefulness to do life uh, with a group of people. Community is such a gift, such a gift from Jesus. Just that, uh, who you know that to do life with folks who are committed to um, to seeing change and transformation happen in our communities is is such a supreme gift. It's not like that and a lot of different churches. It really just isn't. And to do life with a group of people who know that this stage has has got little to do with ushering in the, the kingdom of God, and, and to do life with people who are committed to um, seeking the Lord and asking Him what it means to bring life into ordinary moments in our nine-to-fives, and just Usher in the kingdom where, he's, where God is already at work. That's a gift. So I just became so overwhelmed with gratefulness last week to do life, to do um, Jesus stuff with all of you. It's just such an honor. So grateful, so humbled to be able to play a part, however small it would be in, in ushering in the kingdom in Cleveland. And we did that in 2016. Cleveland, um, Cleveland from, from all over the nation, Cleveland was a city on fire in 2016, and there's a favor resting on this place, but it's a, it's a favor that's tempered in tension, because there's a, there's a rampant heroin addiction that's going across northeast Ohio. It's like this now and not yet thing. There's glimpses of favor, and the sports teams are doing well. Well, not all of them. <laughs> but we got one. We got one win with the Browns. And so there's this sense of the now and not yet. And I wanted to share with you a few things from this past year that have, that have happened. Because of your saying yes, because of you showing up and showing faithfulness and saying yes to Jesus, we were able to affect change in some small way in our communities. Listen to this. Seeds of Hope, our food pantry, served over 1,063 households. That's 2,809 people, of which 891 were seniors. were 60 and over. That's a game changer, you guys. So good. When we served Thanksgiving meal here, we served essentially 400 people in this room and came together as family to make a difference in our community. It's good stuff. You stepped into extraordinary generosity and you gave generously to single parents. Well over $10,000 to single moms and dads to support them. That's amazing. All of the little ways that you can't put dollar figures on or people numbers attached to. You, your hearts affected change in our city, in our communities. Huge. The stories, if you would sit down with Rick and Mickey and the stories that you helped to effect change. They would tell you the lives that are changing where they serve. The stories that would come out of Lakewood where Dave and Marianne are serving faithfully with the skate park outreach throughout the year. The stories that you would hear if you listened. The stories that you exper- many of you experienced as you went down to Market Square Park with Tom and others for Healing on the Streets the stories that have come from that place. And new stories are beginning. It's a new season. You know, Gary and others are starting to make progress in in elementary schools and middle schools right here in Parma Heights to effect change. The stories that you would hear if you sat down with Pete and Lydia or Keith and Karen and asked them about refugees and how our congregation is... is Faithfully showing up, faithfully showing up every Monday, every other Monday, in order to make a f- one family feel at home in the United States. It's amazing. And through faithfulness and prayer and showing up at Market Square Park, we've, there's a deer that just went by the door. Look at that. Amazing. It's my ADHD. <laughs> I was... I was working towards a climactic moment there. And then, do a deer. There's another. Okay. And through your faithfulness, and this is, this is amazing. This is utterly amazing. This is beyond, it's beyond uh, what I ever imagined for this past year. But through uh, the lock-in, we saw two two kids put their faith in Jesus last night to add to the number that... Through your hearts and hands, Vineyard Cleveland, we've seen over 130 people make decisions for Jesus in 2016. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I've not seen that. And very and even more deserving of your applause is that it's not coming from the stage. It's coming from out in your workplaces, driving the bus. <laughs> at Market Square Park. Ah, so happy. Such a full year, a rich year. So as we uh, looked at the the year to come, we thought, gosh, this whole thing of bringing life to the city, let's put some, it starts with identity. It starts with knowing who, who we are in Christ and what we carry in the kingdom. The hope that we carry inside of our hearts is a powerful thing to serve our uh, communities in compassion and to love our communities, bringing life to the city, affecting change in whatever neighborhood that you find yourself living in or suburb or wherever, starts with knowing who we are in Christ and knowing the gentle authority that he's placed upon our lives to affect change. And so we wanted to get at that over the course of the the next few weeks and months, and, and talk about what does it mean to belong to Christ, to know that we were meant for more. You know, for some of you who are sitting there this morning, you are experiencing a new season. Quite literally, we're in a new calendar year, but you're experiencing change, and uh, you might feel like the ground is shifting underneath your feet in some circumstances. You know, your kids might be going Um, back to school here in in January. Your kids are going through change. Some of you, your kids are finally leaving the house, finally leaving the nest, growing up. For others of you, this might feel like a season that's same old, same old. You might not be experiencing too much change in in your life uh, situation, but for many, this is a season of change. And the truth is, is that the seasons are going to change, but, um, the ch- but we have the same old challenges, don't we? The bills keep coming, right? Like, no matter what season you live in, you're going to have bills that show up at your door. The bills keep on coming. And so it's not so much a matter of whether or not the season is changing. The real important thing that I want us to get this morning and throughout the course of this series is that what matters is who we become in the middle of those seasons, who we become in the waiting, who we become in in the bringing life to the city. You know, as Paul writes in Corinthians about love, If we if we served 5,000 people, you know, through Seeds of Hope, but we did it without love, we get no points. If we planted like, you know, five churches out of our church and you know, send them off to different neighborhoods in Cleveland or other areas, other regions in the country, but we did it without love, we get no points. If we, if we share our faith and are very bold and courageous and winning people to Jesus, you know, downtown at Market Square Park, and we see 200 people come to Christ, but we do it without love or out of a sense of duty, we get no points. And so I want us to grasp this morning our identity um, and, and understand that we're meant for more, that we were made for more, made for more than just um, getting up in the morning and going to work and coming home and flipping on the television. We're made for more and not necessarily to do more. I don't want you to hear that either not made to do more stuff for God or do some amazing thing for God, but it's who we become in the middle of change that really matters. So we're going to look at um, just a couple of verses in Paul's letter to Ephesians, if you wanted to turn or swipe there with me. And it's a couple of verses that we would tend to skip over. And it's Ephesians 1 and 1 and 2. It's a, it's a greeting, you know. It's the, it's the greeting on the top of the letter that we skip over. But I think there's some nuggets that we can pull from this together on identity and what it means to be meant for more. And so in Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, we read this. Real simple, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I started thinking about it this week, that's it, that's all we're going to read. As I started thinking about it this week, I started thinking about Paul's name change and what that meant. And name changes in the Bible are really significant. If you see somebody's name getting changed, God's trying to speak to us somewhere in there. He's giving Paul a new name. So Paul's old name was Saul. And as Saul, some of you might know, persecuted Christians and killed Christians. And then all of a sudden he has this conversion. This, he's, he's gripped by radical... Transformation by extraordinary love. Remember on the road to Damascus? And Jesus appears to Paul and blinds him. And then his name changes right then. No, it doesn't. Isn't that funny? We'd expect for Saul's name to change at the point of his conversion. But it doesn't. And there's something in that for us to learn. The name change is not like a clear-cut name change in the history. It's not like you were Saul, now you're Paul. Like Abram and Abraham, or Sarai and Sarah. It's a little bit different. Paul's name change, Paul is like a romanization of the name Saul. And we're going to dial it in right here. What does this mean? This means that God... God didn't change Saul's name at conversion. His his name change had to do with his mission to the Gentiles. And so when Saul's name is changed to Paul, it's not at the point of conversion. When does Paul's name change? Paul's name doesn't change at the point of salvation or conversion. Paul's name changes the minute he engages with mission. Paul engages with mission and his name is changed and there's something in that for us. And what God is trying to say is that when he puts a new name on your life, it's not so you can escape your past. It's, when God puts a new name on your life, it's not so that you can escape from what's held you in the past. When God puts a new name on your life, it's so you can enter into your future. It's so you can enter into everything that he has for you to engage with mission, with what he's already doing in the city around us. Paul needs a new identity for new inheritance. God wants us to get everything he has for us. And what he's saying, what God is saying in this when he's changing Paul's name, because see, you see, Paul sees himself as that now. He doesn't write... I'm Saul. I used to be a murderer of Christians to the saints in Ephesus. He writes, no, I'm Paul. I know who I am, and I know what I carry. More on that in a second. And he's writing in the middle, and he's writing all of this from a prison cell. And don't think prison like Western prisons. He's in a filth hole. He's in a filth hole, and he's saying, I'm Paul, an apostle sent by God in Christ Jesus. New name, new inheritance. You see, because religion's always happy, religion is always happy with a name change at conversion. Religion loves to clean up corpses, but God's only happy when we come alive. Religion is... Satisfied with a name change at conversion. But God's only happy when we engage in mission. And to engage in mission, Paul needs to stand up and say, I'm Paul. I'm not Saul, I'm Paul. Not to escape from his past, but to engage with mission. And I I hope there's something of this for us as a community, as a church, that we would grasp hold of in these next uh, weeks and months, that as Paul, you know, as Paul stepped into fullness and engaged with mission, that we would do the same. At the end of this series, we would know who we are. That God would give us a new name to engage with his mission in Cleveland. Not just a name change at conversion, Not just a name change at the point of salvation, but a name change as we engage in mission. And then he says, Paul, an apostle. Now we hear the word apostle, and I don't know what comes to your mind, uh, but frequently we think special man of God, unique man of God. In America, we think special, we think white, and we think male. Right off the bat, apostle. But let's break down this term of what apostle means. This isn't a... Okay, so when Paul says that he's an apostle, and we think fool of himself too, don't we? Oh, we do. When Paul says that he is an apostle, this isn't a specific term to uh, religion, you see. The Sanhedrin probably used it, the Jewish... Governing bodies would have used it. But when Paul is talking about himself as an apostle, basically what this word means is sent one, one who is sent. So this is a highly political term in the Roman Empire. So you're familiar with the figure of Pontius Pilate, yes? Pontius Pilate was an apostle of the Roman Empire. He was sent to a place like Jerusalem, to expand the culture, the practices, the government of the Roman Empire. He was a sent one. So when Paul talks about himself being an apostle, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, um, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle sent of God to extend and expand the culture of heaven into the earth. Among the Gentiles. And this is the way he thinks about himself. And he doesn't just think about himself this way because it's a good idea or it came from him. Which is really important for us to get. He knows his identity. He knows his assignment. And by the end of this series, you're going to as well. You're going to know. You're you're going to be able to answer that question, why on earth? Am I here? You're going to be able to say, I'm Sharon, and this is why I'm here. And say it. He knows his identity. He knows what he carries. And then he says, of Christ Jesus. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Two little verses. What he's saying is it didn't come from Paul's good idea, that this comes straight from Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, the radiance of the Father. Jesus, the only Son sent to save humankind. This isn't some power of positive thinking, trying to like ramp himself up to feel good about himself. And in some senses, we're saying, oh, right, you're you're an apostle sent, sent by Christ Jesus. If we were to stop there, you're an apostle. But, but Paul is saying, I'm an apostle sent by Christ Jesus. And that matters. Here's why it matters. Because in our culture, we like to knock people down a few pegs. That's why it matters. We like to, we're, we're uncomfortable with honor. We're just really uncomfortable giving honor away. Or we tend to think that, like, oh, they're, they're high on their horse. If someone came to us and they said, I'm an apostle, sent by God to effect change in the life of people in the city of Cleveland and be like, okay, <laughs> you sure are. Good luck with that. <laughs> like, Go get him, tiger. Okay, so here's what I want us to get. If Paul is saying this out of his own good idea, or his own, you know, desires, that's what we would say. And Paul, and Paul writing this to a group of people. But, he's, but he doesn't say, no, it's, it's not from me, you see. It's from Jesus. So he's recognizing that Jesus is reigning above it all. He's reigning above it all. And so if Paul says anything other than he's an apostle of God sent by Christ Jesus, Paul's in trouble with Jesus. You see? It's not high and lofty thinking of Paul to say, I'm an apostle sent by God. Because if Paul's just saying it, he's just saying it. But if he doesn't, if, G- if God's speaking to him, and confer- he's, he's saying, listen, this is who you are, Paul. You thought you were just going to be a tent maker. You thought you were just going to open, open up a store in Jerusalem. And you thought you, thought you were just going to raise kids. You thought this about yourself. But let me tell you who you really are. Let me tell you who you really are. You're you're cherished by me. You're, You're adored by me. You're an apostle. You're sent by me. So if Paul doesn't say this, he's got a problem. And when we see ourselves in the light of Jesus, we see ourselves properly, the way that he sees us, See, you can say these things without fear of ever anyone thinking that you're arrogant or self centered or narcissistic. Do you see? If if God's speaking these things over your life and you don't say them, then you, you've got a problem. If God Himself is speaking it, you see. And this is interesting. Because he's writing from a prison cell, and this is the thing that's keeping Paul anchored, knowing who he is. In the middle of a filthy prison, he's writing about himself. It's keeping him anchored and centered. And it's interesting because for me and for you, most likely, because when I want things to change, I want God to do it for me. (laughs) <laughs> and when he wants things to change he wants me to do it and that's annoying <laughs> that's annoying we can put it another way to every to every prayer that you pray there's a very high probability that heaven's response is john twenty twenty one so send I you. So send I you. And you pray. We pray these things. We say, God, you know, would you do something? Look at the, look at the social problems that we have in our city. The heroin addiction is, is running rampant throughout Northeast Ohio. Won't somebody do something? And God says, so send I you. We say the refugee crisis around the world, refugees are pouring in from Syria, would you do so? And we pray all, we, we say all of the spiritual words that we know and we intercede and we get on our knees and not that there's any like devaluing of that happening, but we say well, won't you do something about the refugee crisis and, and God says, so send I you. We pray, we pray, God, God, our schools are, they're falling apart, you know, education in America is jacked up, won't you do something, would you bring prayer back into the schools and God says, so send I you. We, we sing it, where you lead me, Lord, I will follow, but the call of, the call of God is behind, not Before. Ah, uh, come on. Yeah. The call of God is, be, is behind. He says, wherever you, he doesn't, he doesn't expect us to say, if you lead us, Lord, I will follow. He says, wherever you go, I'll show up. Ah, oh. uh, come on. <laughs> so wherever you go, he promises that he will be there right in the middle of it. God, you don't understand. My workplace is so dysfunctional. My boss is mad. That was Tom's prayer this past week. Why don't you do something? And God says, so send I you. So send I you. Where you go, I'll show up. That's a very comforting promise that wherever we go, wherever we walk, that Jesus walks right along with us. Right in the middle of it. And then... And then he says to the holy people in Ephesus, or saints, this is a tough one for us. The saints in Ephesus, out of all the words that Paul could have chosen to place in the letter, every single word that Paul could have used. I'm here to tell you that saints is the most unexpected word that Paul could have used in this passage. It's unexpected. And he's saying, what what Paul is saying here is, um, to a community who is like, who doesn't know who they are, essentially, Paul is is thinking to himself and he's thinking, what word, what word could I use? What what word could I come up with that'll help, help them understand their position in Christ. What's going to communicate to them like where where they stand with the Father? Saints. Saints. What what word is going to communicate to help them begin to cultivate a worldview of themselves that's that's accurate as the Father sees them? Saints. Because they've forgotten who they are in Ephesus, in the culture. A lot of backstory there, but we need to move on. But have you ever met folks who have forgotten who who they are to the point where they, like, become their situation? Do you know? It's not like, it's no longer that they're, like, sick, but, like, once, but they're, like, always ill. Or, you know, it's not just, like, a blow-up At the workplace, like, it's not just like there's a problem at work, but it's like their work is a nightmare wherever they go. You know, they take on, there's something of identity where they take on the thing that they're struggling with so much so that they become it. And it's really easy when you're struggling it's really easy to fall under a victim mentality or a martyr mentality and become the thing that you struggle with. You know, there's a difference between being tired or being weary and weariness, that whole deal, becoming that thing. But what Paul is saying, what he's communicating when he's calling the people of Ephesus saints, is he's saying, no you don't get it. You're so much greater than what you think of yourself. In a room, in a room this size, you know, as I, as I teach, I'm acutely aware that in a room this size, there are probably like five people who are dealing with like pride in the room, if that, who think too highly of themselves. The majority of us are on the other side of the spectrum. We need this. We need to hear this about ourselves. That this is the way, because Jesus' work is finished at the cross, that God doesn't view us outside of that lens. He doesn't see your past on you anymore. You're not Saul. You're engaging in mission now. You are Paul. You're you're no longer just a sinner saved by grace. Have you heard that? Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. That's poor theology. You are not just a sinner. Whoever said that didn't know their Bible and didn't know Jesus because that's not who you are. You're not just a sinner saved by grace looking to end your days here on earth and then fly, fly off to some fairyland where you're going to strum a harp with angels. That's not what's going to happen. You matter in this life. And Jesus has put you here for a purpose, for his purpose. You're a saint. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm saint, and then fill in the blank. Now, 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 if people start praying to you, you've... If people start praying to you, you've taken it too far. That's way too far. (laughs) But you're called. You're sent. You're called saint, beloved of the Father. You matter in this world. And whatever it looks like in your life, you might look around at your life and you say, well, you don't even know. If you had one look at my life, you wouldn't be calling me saint but i'm not here to tell you facts i'm here to tell you the truth and the truth is that no matter how, yeah no matter how how great of a hole you might be in financially you are not bankrupt all of the riches of christ are yours no matter How much you look around and you say that my relationships are fragmented, there's dysfunction here. You're meant for thriving in your relationships and to carry the oil of peace, to be a peacemaker in relationships. That's who you really are. That's who you really are. You may feel anonymous, you're not alone. That's the truth. But the world works so hard at this, doesn't it? To make us forget who we are, the world works so hard at this, reminding you of who you're not and what you don't have. All of the marketers—they're not selling products. What are they selling? They're selling a story. Marketers are selling a story, and the and they get together, in some back room and in some marketing firm and they get together and they say hmm what what can we what can we come up with what's the next hot thing what do they call it they call it a the next hot they call it a brand are you tracking with me mm-hmm. tracking with me okay here we go and what do they do with that brand let's put it in farming terminology <laughs> and they stick it on you you know like farmers to claim cattle, they take that hot, that next big hot thing, don't they? (laughs) That branding iron, and they stick it on you and make you forget who you are and what you're really called to. I'm telling you, there are meetings going on right now designed specifically to make you, the truth, to make you forget who you really are and to remind you of what you don't have In life, selling a story. Don't forget. So, in this culture, in our church, let's not forget who we are. That you are saints. It's heaven's perspective of you. It's not just the power of positive thinking. That's a hard way to to think because we struggle with honor. My wife and Tim led us in some lovely worship this morning. But worship leaders have worship. I, I once was one in a, in a past life. Worship, us worship leaders, we've got a tough time with honor, don't we? Have you ever come up to somebody whether it's in worship or not, and they get done doing their thing, and you're, and you're like, "Hey, that was, that was a great job. I really felt God's presence. That was really good. And, and they go like this, they go, "Oh, it's all Jesus." <laughs> it was all God. And in your head, you're like, well, it wasn't that good?" I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, um, I'm sure if it was Jesus, I, I mean, if that was Jesus, I'm a little bit disappointed, actually, I, <laughs> I, I feel like if it was, if it were Jesus, if it was all Jesus, like, we would have known, like, everybody, <laughs> like, something different would have settled on the room, maybe, <clears throat> and we, and we know what they're, we know what they're trying to say, right, when they say that, we know, because we've all done it, and we, and we know what they're trying to say, but it just, you know, we struggle with honor. We're, we're worried, you know, we're worried that we can steal honor from Jesus. I don't know who you think you are, but if you think that you can steal honor from Jesus, <laughs> what, what do I mean? He's not like afraid. He's not threatened. In fact, he says, Jesus says, Jesus says, you work so hard, work so hard to obtain honor from men, but you don't lift a finger to obtain honor from God. Jesus says this. And we're afraid that by playing a few chords, we're stealing honor from Jesus. Let me tell you this morning, God isn't, excuse me, God is not insecure. <laughs> he's not schizophrenic either. God knows who he is, so he's not, like, threatened. In fact, he's, he's happy. He's happy to give honor to people. He's like, oh, y'all want some honor? I've got plenty of that. So, like, it's inexhaustible. He's like, yeah, he's happy. to. You can't steal glory from God either. All glory to God. But that's for a, that's for a later sermon. He's happy to give that to you. The Father's happy. He's happy. The Father's happy. Happy to give you honor. And then lastly, Paul says, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, and we'll end here this morning, or those holding the faithfulness of God in the middle of the mess. To the faithful in Christ Jesus. What is he getting at? What does Paul mean here? You're gonna hear that again one day. And that's the way that we think about it. We think like when this when this life is done, when it's finished, those who are in Christ will hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. But what Paul is saying here. <laughs> What Paul is saying here is that you don't have to wait to hear that spoken over your life till kingdom come. Paul is saying that, no, 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 it's not like you live, um, <clears throat> you live your life, you do so many good deeds and so many bad deeds, and then, you know, you, you trudge through, and when that final uh, trumpet sounds, you're going to hear, well done, good, and faithful. He said, no, Because Jesus came down, you see see the difference? Because if you're waiting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, maybe the truth of what Jesus actually did at the cross is eluding you in this moment. And I believe that Jesus wants us to catch this, because it's crucial to our identity. He's saying, it's because it's not based on what you do or don't do. It's based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Because the Father validates, the Father v- validates Jesus' work on the cross by Jesus sitting down at the right hand of the Father. It's because of this that Paul can say, "You are faithful. Why? Because Jesus was faithful. Because Jesus gave his yes, you can give your yes too. Because Jesus gave his yes in the Garden of Gethsemane when it was difficult for himself, and he said, not my will, but yours be done. You are faithful. You're faithful. You're saints, and you're faithful. That's who you are in Jesus. You are faithful. When the Father looks at you, he doesn't see, trying hard, but not making the cut. He doesn't say that. He doesn't think that. He simply views you through the lens of Jesus. You're faithful. You're faithful. That's who you are. That's that's who you are. And what we need to know in this is that faith is more robust than we think. Faith, you don't have faith. Faith has you. Faith strengthens you. Faith holds you together. You don't hold it. Faith holds you together. Faith strengthens you. Faith encourages you. Faith moves you forward. And when we see ourselves, as the Father sees us as faithful, faithful through the lens of Jesus, We can awake, something in us awakens that we don't have faith. Faith has us. Faith has us. Because the truth is that we'll never know who we are outside of a relationship with Jesus. Isn't it tragic? Isn't it tragic to run into someone in their 40s or their 50s and they don't know who they are or why they're here? Isn't that the most tragic thing on earth? Or to have the word potential spoken over your life. You know, that word, potential might be good for someone who's like 18, maybe 23. (laughs) But if that word potential is still being spoken over your life at like 40 or 50, it's tragic. I want to know why I'm here. I want to know that my life matters. I want to hear from the Father, well done, good and faithful now, not just in the by and by. Right? Isn't that what it's all about? In the here and now? usher in the kingdom of God now? And I'm just saying what's in the book, so (laughs) if if some of this is, because I know that's tough, if some of this is giving you some problems, I mean, have I said anything to you that's like outside of the book? No, not at all. It's all in the book. Paul, Jesus is saying you're faithful so if you, ha- if, you ha- if you have some problems with that, go home. Don't, don't come to me. <laughs> Your problem's not with me. It's with, g- it, it, take it. take it home. Ask him, what did you mean? Ask the Holy, Spirit. don't ask Strong's Concordance. Don't ask any of the commentators. The Holy Spirit is stronger than Strong's. He can tell you who you are. You ask him the question, God, what did you mean? What did you mean when you called me saint? And then just sit and listen for 10 minutes. <laughs> Holy Spirit will tell you. What did you mean? You're saints. You can rise above. God has raised you up, he says, above the powers and principalities of this world. That's who you are. And we'll close with this. We need to be reminded of who we are. John 1:12, he's given you the right. To be called children of God. Ephesians 1.5 Predestined to adoption for sonship, daughtership. Romans 15.7 You're accepted by God. Pleasing in God's sight because of Jesus. Colossians 2.9 In Christ you have been brought to fullness. Genesis 1.27 God created you in his image. Jeremiah 1.5 Before you were even formed in the womb. He says he knew you. He saw you. He saw you before those, you're not just a group of cells, you know, combining to make a baby. He saw you before. He saw you as you took your first breath when you came out of your mama's tummy. He he watched as you grew, as you grew in wisdom and stature. He watched as your heart was broken. He watched your first kiss. He watched you at the altar, and he knows you still, and he knows what's ahead of us. He knows what's ahead of you. He already knows the road. Before you were formed in the womb, he says he knows you in 1 Peter 2, 9. You are chosen. You're set apart. You're royal. You're God's holy possession. God declares over your life that today you are his dwelling. He's pleased to dwell in you. He declares over you that you're chosen and sent. He declares over you that the same favor he sees on his son Jesus, he sees over your life. He declares over you the same thing he declared over Jesus when the dove descended in you. I'm well pleased. Your life is defined not by how many friends you have on Facebook, not your networks or your net worth. Your life is not defined by how much or how little money you have in your bank account. Your life isn't even measured in by how well your son or daughter is doing in life. Your life's not defined by your spouse or by your parents, who they were or who they are. Your life is defined simply by the cross of Jesus Christ. You know how I know this? Because I've met some of the most wealthy people in the world and they're the most unsatisfied. I've met people with a quadrillion friends on social media and they still haven't found what they're looking for. Your worth is in Jesus. And God gets pleasure by you just being you. Thrilled, thrilled over who you are. Pleased in who you are. That's what I want us to hear today because that's going to enable us to step into mission, step into fullness. I'm Brett and Steph, apostles sent to Lakewood to effect change in the city. I'm Gary and Robin. I'm not just here, I'm sent. Into the city of Parma. Why don't you join me in standing?